Amen. Advent is a time of celebration and expectation, a time we look forward to what God is promising to do within this world. And today is the Sunday of hope. I've mentioned to you before that my one of my favorite American poets is New England's Robert Frost, and I'm not alone in my admiration for this man. He was nominated for the Nobel Prize in Literature 31 times. And he's the only poet who has ever been awarded the Pulitzer Prize for Literature four times. One of his fa- my favorite of his poems, Stopping by the by Woods in a Snowy Evening, Robert Frost wrote, Whose woods these are? I think I know. His house is in the village, though. You will not see me stopping here to watch his woods fill up with snow. My little horse must think it queer to stop without a farmhouse near between the woods and frozen lake, the darkest evening of the year. He gives his hardest bells a shake, to ask as if there's some mistake, the only other sounds the sweep of easy wind and downy flake. The woods are lovely, dark and deep. But I have promises to keep, and miles to go before I sleep, and miles to go before I sleep. For me, the beauty of this poem is a picture of a man who for a brief moment, we don't know why he's out in the woods on that snowy evening, no explanation is there, but for one brief moment, he is able to simply stop everything and just examine the and reflect on the beauty of the scene before him. Uh, even his horse thinks it's strange. They never pulled up and stopped in the middle of the woods before. There is a wish that is expressed in his words. The woods are lovely, dark and deep. Nature seems to be calling him, beckoning him, calling just stay a while. Just sit and enjoy the calm, serene beauty of this moment. Just stay. But he can't. Why? It's expressed in the last verses. But I have promises to keep, and miles to go before I sleep, miles to go before I sleep. Now, Frost actually experienced a similar moment in his life to the narrator of this poem. He had taken a trip down to the local market and was largely unsuccessful in making enough money to see his children through Christmas with the presents he wanted to buy them. On his way home, overwhelmed with what he saw as a failure to his kids, he experienced a tough journey. He stopped partway on his way home and began to cry. And in the serene moment of that snowy evening, after a few minutes, the bells on his horses Harness did begin to rain. He regained his composure, and he continued his journey home. Now, ultimately, Frost got through that tough time. Ultimately, he was able to go on. But the nature of the struggle, the desire to just stop and shut the world out and all 
the pain and all the hurt is powerful and expressed in this song, in this poem. For just one moment, in the quiet demands of life, and then to press on to make those promises. Joe LaRue talks about promises. He said, sometimes keeping promises really is hard. Maybe that's the part of the reason why so many people break them. Perhaps they give their promise to get what they want, something they want. But now that they have it, they no longer feel the need to honor the promise. Or perhaps when they gave their promise, they really intended to keep it. But now that their situation has changed, they realize that keeping their promise will be detrimental to them. But breaking it will be advantageous to them. So what do they do? They break their promise. He goes on to say, regardless of the reason why people break promises, it is undeniable that promises frequently get broken. We have all had it happen to us. And folks, he makes a painful admission. And we've all done it a time or two or more ourselves. We know firsthand that sometimes it's hard to keep promises. And sometimes people don't keep promises. That's why when someone does keep his promise, especially one that really costs him something, we tend to sit up and take notice. I believe, at least at the beginning, we want our promises to be real. We want to keep them. We want them to be more than vows we make and break. But the truth is, has been pointed out, we make a lot of promises to others, and many promises made to us. And sadly, too many promises are broken on both ends of the equation. As humans, <coughs> too often our word is not our bond. And promises litter our lives, both promises we've made and broken and those that have been given and have been broken. And those broken promises could lead us to a place of absolute, complete cynicism. If not for one thing. If not for one thing. As children of the living God. Dr. J. Mike Minks is editor of Pastor Life, and he said, don't let the broken promises of this world keep you from believing the promises of God. God will always act according to his promise, 2 Peter 3.13. God is not a man that he should lie, Numbers 23.19. God says, I will not fail you nor forsake you, Joshua 1.5. And he meant exactly what he said. So whatever you are going through today, lean heavily on the promises of God. They never fail. And I love his last statement. Maybe it is better to say the promises do not fail because God never fails. Here is a key. It is not a hope that we can manufacture in ourselves. Someone has said that only God can create a hope that has no hope of failing. So our hope this morning is going to be focused on promise and a very specific hope within a promise. Hope within a promise, and it is found in Malachi 3, verses 1 through 4. I'm going to ask you to stand, and as, as I read this and share this with you, I want you to listen carefully to what the prophet is saying. 
and know that for most of the book of Malachi, the only word is judgment. So hear the word of the Lord. And he said, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord and in the days as in the days of old and as in former years. God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. In the midst of words about judgment, Malachi was given a prophecy of hope. Now, it may be hard to see the hope if you pay really close attention to the words, but we're going to take a look at it today. We do have a hope that is ours because of the coming one. We have a hope that belongs to us because of our relationship to the Messiah, the Christ of God. And we need to embrace that hope, live that hope, share that hope. Because folks, ours is a broken world. So just what does the promise of God and Malachi entail? What is this promise and hope? Well, to understand that, we need to look at the truths that the prophet is giving in this word inspired by God's Spirit. In the very first God works to bring his purposes to reality. God works to bring his purposes to reality. Now We may make promises and forget them as soon as we've given them. God is working on the promise long before he ever utters it. Malachi's words showed that God had a plan for his people. Now, Malachi looked at his people with a degree of suspicion. And in the second chapter, verse 17, he told the people, you have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we wearied him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. And then here's the kicker. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? They seem to be saying, well, okay, where is God? We need him now. They claim to be seeking God, but Malachi is suspicious. He doesn't really believe them. And and throughout the book of Malachi, there's some little snippets of sarcasm when he challenges what they're saying. Nevertheless, he is going to answer that question, where is the God of justice? And we do need to acknowledge for centuries the people of God had been looking for deliverance. Whenever a nation would come and overpower them, whenever a nation would threaten them, whenever a nation would just completely seem to be bent on annihilating them, they kept saying, God, where are you? When are you going to help us? When will the day of the Lord come? And in most of their minds, the day of the Lord was a time of deliverance, hope, joy, wonder. And Malachi pointed to the promise of the day of the Lord, and he said it was going to come. And he gives two images here that show that God is already preparing what he's going to do. First of all, he says, I'm going to send a messenger to prepare the way. 
Now, in Mark, the first chapter, verses 2 and following, the New Testament points out this messenger preparing the way is none other than John the Baptist. It is often linked to a passage in Isaiah 40, verses 3 for 5. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and hill will be made low, the uneven ground will become leaven, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The image is taken from a situation they would be familiar with. In the ancient world, when a king is getting ready to do a tour of his kingdom, he would send out a messenger who would basically say, the king is coming. You can't just call up or write a letter. A king is coming and you need to get everything ready for him. And this is the image. I am already preparing a messenger who's going to come before me to get things ready. And then he said, the second image, the Lord you were seeking, the messenger of the covenant, is going to come to his temple. You may or may not be aware, the word messenger that is translated here is the word that gives us our word, angel. It, it is about the angel of the Lord. And so, when, sometimes the word for angel is used. It's talking about normal people who are messengers of God. Uh, in fact, Malachi's name means my messenger. Now, I don't think he's talking about himself here. He's talking about someone who's going to come. This may be related to a phrase that is used throughout the word of God in the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord. You may be familiar, the angel of the Lord shows up when Abraham's about to sacrifice Isaac and says, hold your hand, I know that you have faith in me and you love me above all else. The angel of the Lord shows up and talks to Abraham. And it is the angel of the Lord that Abraham begins bargaining with about Sodom and Gomorrah. If we can find 48 righteous men, if we can find 10 righteous men. And interestingly, the angel of the Lord usually starts out talking about God in third person and then suddenly starts saying, I. So many scholars, and I'm one of those who believe this, this is a manifestation of God that could approach a human being without killing them. And the messenger of the temple, for centuries, the church has understood who that messenger is. In fact, the word Lord that's used there is the word Adon. It's not the covenant name of God. The Lord, I believe, is the messenger of the temple, of the covenant who's coming to the temple. And we as Christians have said, this is a messianic promise. This is a promise that God is going to send a deliverer, a redeemer. And if this is the meaning of that prophecy, we need to understand what Malachi says did not take place during Jesus' first advent, when he came to live on this earth as a man, there are still some areas of fulfillment to take place still out there in the future. But what Malachi wanted his people to see, in spite of their unfaithfulness, God has just told them, I'm going to honor the covenant. Even though they've been offering horrible sacrifices, 
They have had a divided heart. God is saying, one day I will fulfill the promise of the covenant that I've given you. Somewhere in the future, he was already working to move them to that point in time. And because he was already at work, the people had hope. What does this mean for you and me? History is in the hands of God Almighty. And I please pray you let this sink in. History is in the hands of God Almighty. There are moments in time when it just doesn't feel like that, right? Let's be honest. There are times we do not feel that God is on His throne. Right now, we're looking at a world that is in chaos. We see a world that is racing toward utter madness. We see a world of hopelessness everywhere we look. Again, this week I've been bombarded by horrid images of what humanity can do to humanity. But God's Word promises. In ways we cannot see, in ways we may not understand, God is still in control. And ultimately, He is nudging this world closer and closer to its final fulfillment. He's nudging this world closer and closer to the moment He breaks in and establishes all righteousness. And he does it in spite of ourselves. Hasn't it just absolutely amazed you how God brings judgment? And sometimes it looks like complete, total judgment. Remember the flood? God wipes out the earth except for Noah and his family. He saves Noah and his family. Noah was a man blameless in his day. And After Noah gets off the ark and builds an altar and praises God, he plants a vineyard. Do you remember what he does? He gets drunk and passes out naked in front of his kids. Sounds like Mardi Gras gone wild. Was God surprised by that? No. But in spite of what he knew the failure would come, God said, I'm not through this world. On the morning of Lincoln's death, history tells us that a crowd, somewhere around 50,000 people, were gathered at the exchange building in New York. They were afraid. They were agitated. There was fear that it would break out into violence and riots. And then a well-built man in an officer's uniform stepped up to the front of the balcony overlooking the exchange and somehow was able to shout loud enough to gain attention. And these are the words he cried. His voice was described like a trumpet call. Fellow citizens, clouds and darkness are around about him, God. His pavilion is dark waters and thick clouds of skies. Justice and judgment are the establishment of his throne, Mercy and truth go before his face. Fellow citizens, God reigns. And the government at Washington still is. And the crowd hushed. Let the truth of what had just been sung sink in. The man who said those words was General James A. Garfield. If you know your history, folks. And 16 years after this event, he too would die a martyr president. 
We may not be able to understand all that God is doing, and our hope lies, but our hope lies in this truth. God reigns. He is moving. He has purpose. He will redeem. He will move. And we have hope that springs from the knowledge of a God who moves for his people. This is where our hope comes. We can look throughout the Old Testament. You can look into your own life. At times when you thought all was lost, somehow God kindled a hope. God gave you what you needed. So when the myriad voices of doom and gloom, and boy, they are many, aren't they? There's one thing that liberals and conservatives are in agreement about. This world is horrible. It's crazy. It's going to pieces. Of course, they're blaming each other. But even enemies are agreeing this is a world of no hope. And we need to remember there is no such thing as a world with no hope. Because God is on his throne. God is reigning. And he will grant us the strength to face whatever comes our way as long as we remember he is on his throne. He brings purpose to, to pass. Even as Jesus taught us to pray, Matthew 6, 10, the model prayer, sometimes called the Lord's Prayer, Remember the second petition, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we need to hold on to the truth. We need to hold on to the truth that God is already working. He's going to bring his purpose to pass. And when we hold on to that, we have more hope and another truth. When the time is right, the promised Lord will come. And please exert the word promise on your bulletin. Somehow that got, I got that left off. The promised Lord is going to come when the time is right. Malachi told his readers, he declared the Lord that they were seeking would come quickly to the temple. Now folks, you need to understand the word that's translated suddenly means unexpectedly. It does not mean immediately. Think about this. Malachi is prophesying the coming of the Lord. It's 400 years before the birth of Christ. On the, in the second chapter of Acts, Peter stands before a, a congregation who gathered to listen, and he says, the last days are now here. 2,000 years ago. When God says, I'm coming, it doesn't mean immediately. That word suddenly in our verse is used 25 times in the Old Testament. And there's only one place in the entire Old Testament, Second Chronicles 29.36, that says that God acted suddenly for his people and gave them what they needed at that moment in time. Only one place. Do you know what the rest, the other 24 times suddenly is used? Always has to deal with judgment. So Malachi is saying what Peter said in his epistle, 2 Peter 3.10, when he declared that for the wicked, the Lord's sudden coming would be like a thief in the night. It will be unexpected. Now the problem was Malachi's people wanted the Lord to show up right now. But did you notice God has already told them, you're not ready. How do we know he says you're not ready? Because I need to send a messenger to get the place ready. 
They wanted joy. They wanted power. They wanted deliverance. But God had another plan. And for now, he held back the messenger of the covenant. Because as much as they wanted the Lord to immediately respond to what they wanted, they could not force God's hand. Particularly since what they wanted was not what the Lord intended. And there are two rhetorical questions that point out, you're not ready. Who can endure the day of his coming? And that word endure talks about an obstacle, an ordeal that is heavy, an ordeal that is not going to be easily handled. Who can endure when this messenger finally shows up? And the answer is no one. Then he says, and who can stand when he appears? The word stand is borrowed from a battle imagery. Standing your ground. Who is going to be able to stand before the messenger? And again, the answer is no one. God was going to move in his timing, and that mood included a drastic change. And here's where it may be hard to see the hope in this passage. Because that drastic change included the idea of judgment. Who can stand? Who can endure? Because he's coming like fire, a refiner's fire. And folks, that means fire that's hot enough to melt melt silver. You refine ore to get all of the dross, all of the trash out. And for centuries, people have used old-fashioned means of refinement. And I got to do that in a metal metal shop class in art. When you can see your reflection, you know the silver's finally pure. And then he's coming like fuller soap. Now, we need to understand, soap as we know it, bars of soap and tide and all that, that's what he's talking about. And some of you are old enough to remember, perhaps, lye, a caustic chemical that kind of burns the dirt out, basically, and can be dangerous to be held. And by the way, after they would wash their clothes in lye, do you know how they finished the cleaning process? Throw it on a rock and beat it. Anybody want to go through that? I'm coming. The Lord's coming when you are ready, and that's going to entail a time of fire and cleansing. Folks, our hearts cry out for the Lord to move, but do we really know what that means? Do we understand? Lord, come and deal with this mess, deal with this world in which we're living. Like the people of Judah, we want to see the day of the Lord. We want to see things made right the way God intended. But are we ready to acknowledge the changes That will come into our own lives as God begins to move in a powerful way. Seth Mullen Kovash said, When God's promise spoken through Malachi is truly fulfilled, what will look different in our church, our world, our lives? And he also reminds us something very important. Because a lot of times when we're saying, Lord, come in, 
show up and do something about this mess, whose mess are we talking about? Those people. And there's a warning here. This text does not give us the right to say, God, give those people what they deserve. As much as me, we may want to pray that. You know how I know that's not what this passage means? Because this passage doesn't address the Gentile world at all. It's all about the people of God. This is a word from God specifically for God's people. We are the ones in need of refining. You've been hearing me say this now for a couple of years, just about with a bunch of different passages of Scripture. We need a, a renewal in our lives. We need to come back to God as the body of Christ in this land, in the West. We need desperately for God to move. And we need to be prepared that the Lord's move may be a challenge to us. As we look forward in anticipation for the coming of the promised one, we must honestly understand every time Jesus comes into our life, when he came into our life at salvation, when he continually comes into our lives, moving us closer to what he wants us to be today, and when he finally will come for us, it will always involve a change in us. If I ask for a show of hands, how many of you really love change? I don't think I'd see many hands. It's not easy for us to do. And that change may prove painful. And what this passage calls me, remember what I told you at the first about Advent? A time of reflection. This is a time for me to think, God, what in my life needs to be refined? What in my life needs to be burned out of me and, and given over into your hand? What in my life do I need to yield to you? And as frightening as that may be, when I tell God, give them what they deserve, and I suddenly realize I may be one of the they, that's scary. But we must assess what this change that God gave a promise about to Malachi to give to Judah, what does it mean for us? And folks, what it means, we need to be prepared, knowing that the Lord's move may be a challenge to us, knowing that the Lord is going to change us. Instead of running away from that in fear, Instead of all of a sudden changing our prayer, Lord, maybe you don't have to come so quickly after all. We need to look, what does this mean? And if I'm willing to do that, I finally come to the last truth that signifies what this hope is all about. Refiner's fire and fuller soap may scare us until we remember why is God going to do that to his people? And that's our final truth. The Lord ultimately will bring cleansing to his people. The Lord ultimately is going to bring about a good change within us, a needed change within us, a change that will bring honor to him. 
And when you look at Malachi's words, his prophecy, it's very clear. Malachi's word made it clear that the Lord's coming was meant to refine the hearts that were astray. Now, Amos, centuries before Malachi comes on the scene, prophesies something very similar. In the fifth chapter, he asks his people, uh, woe to you, to, or tells them, what do you desire the day of the Lord? Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light, as if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him, or went into the house and leaned his hand upon the wall and a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light and gloom with no brightness in it? Why are you asking God to show up? And there's a difference between what Amos is saying and what Malachi was saying. You see, Amos is focused. Israel, the northern kingdom, has already gone too far. Judgment is now inevitable. It's coming. And it will be a destruction of the kingdom. It will be destruction of the king and the people. Utter judgment, because you would not hear God. But did you notice, in this particular promise... Malachi says, yes, judgment's coming, but he doesn't say it's coming to destroy you. It's coming to cleanse you and purify you. The process would be painful. Those are painful images used. But the purpose of what God was going to do in Malachi's people was redemptive. When the process was complete, God's people, from the priests, the Levites, all the way down to the common Hebrew person, they would be right with God. Uh, Still ahead. Andrew Hill has pointed out, uh, when you look at the gospel narratives that seem to understand John being the one, the voice crying in the wilderness, and that Jesus is the messenger, we do not see a massive turning of the the people, the spiritual leaders of Israel to God. But, remember a guy named Nicodemus who comes to Jesus by night? And we've, we've said, well, he was afraid, so he tried to hide himself. Maybe he's coming by night because he wants a one-on-one. And then, that's in the third chapter of John. In the 19th chapter of John, Nicodemus is no longer afraid, if he ever was, because he helps claim the body of Christ with Joseph of Arimathea. And in Acts chapter 6, we hear of a large number of priests who come to faith in Christ. So the process has begun. And our hope rests in an understanding. We've got to get Our hope rests in an understanding that the messenger of the covenant means to purify us. We're asking Jesus to come and we're going to celebrate his birth and we're wanting him to return. But folks, he comes into our lives every day, moving, calling us to inside, calling us to to turn back from the things of this world, to focus our hearts on him and to commit ourselves into his hand. And the fire and the soap that comes, those moments of conviction. When things you used to say long before you came to know Christ suddenly drive a knife in your heart. 
And the Spirit of God reminds you, you have just spoken words that bring pain to your Savior. It's painful. But it's not to consume. We sing that beautiful, and thank you for the chorus, Refiner's Fire. I want to be like pure gold before you, Lord. I want to be like silver before you. I want you to change you. Change me. And the changes, they may startle us, but they can bring us hope. And when we as the people of God get serious and we ask Christ, come into our lives and cleanse us and purify us, we may find something absolutely beautiful ahead. Perhaps you and I will live to see a church of the Lord Jesus Christ that is filled with compassion for the lost and the hurting of this world. Well, we're no longer just going to talk about taking the good news. We'll be taking it because our hearts are burdened. Perhaps we'll live to see a church where what we want will finally take a back seat to what the Father's will is. And I'm not going to be worried about what kind of songs we sing or what translation is read or all the things that get on the burrs under our saddles. Father, your will be done. Perhaps we'll live to see a time when the church is no longer afraid. Afraid to speak out. I shared with you before that wonderful passage when Jesus said, this is my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. I pointed out in my 63 years of life, I have never seen a gate attack anyone. This is not an image of the church holding back the powers of hell. This is an image of the church marching to drive darkness out in the name of Jesus Christ, ready to stand strong, whatever it may cost us, because we believe the light needs to penetrate the darkness of this world. Salvation will break through. And finally, perhaps our lives will be yielded to the Lordship of Christ the way they should be. For me, this promise, although there is a word of pain, is pure hope for me. Because it's saying this is what I want you to be pure and clean, with your worship meaning something, with your worship being real and not outward gestures like Malachi's people were doing. Folks, the reason this is hope, we need to celebrate that the Lord will not leave us in our sin. Folks, this is amazing. Jesus came to you when you had no desire for him. He came to you when you, the scripture says you were at war with God. I was battling God, even as a little boy. I wanted things my way. And Jesus came to make me into something more than I could have dreamed possible. He came to bring us wholeness for our lives. Means we will finally understand what abundant living means. And this promise rings through with crystal clarity. God loved you just where you were 
before you came to know him? You didn't have to clean your act up to come to Jesus. If you could have cleaned your act up, you wouldn't have needed Jesus. He didn't wait for you to get right with him before you came to him. He came to you just as you were, but here's the beauty of it. He loves you so much, he doesn't want to leave you where you were. He's wanting to change our lives into something amazing and wonderful, what we are meant to be. And so when I look at this passage, even with that note of judgment, it doesn't terrify me because in the end, uh, on this Sunday of hope, our hope lays in a promise and that promise is God Almighty wants to make us into what we can be. Tony Evans, one of my favorite preachers to hear and one of my favorite preachers to read, talked about a moment. He said, while in seminary preparing for... And I can relate. Well, part of it anyway. While in seminary preparing for ministry, I was enrolled in a class that one day brought me a great discouragement. Our class was asked to do a paper. Now, I always loved to to do challenging things in class, and I was committed to making an A on this paper. I was determined to spare no research effort, no dedication, nor any steadfastness to make an A on this paper. It was a particularly difficult class, and it was rare that anyone ever made an A with this professor. I was sure that I was going to be the exception to the rule. My type A personality kicked in, and I was committed to ace this class, which meant I needed to ace this paper. I was committed to it. I never cared about grades until I got into seminary. And suddenly I wanted those A's. Fortunately, I didn't have the rest of the experience. When I got my paper back, there was an F on it. Not only did I not make an A, I did not make a B, C, or D either. There was an F in bold red across the top. And you can imagine how crushed I was because I did my work. I clocked on lighters. I researched. I studied the original languages. And I dug in. Even though the paper was only to be 10 or 12 pages, I had 18 to 20 pages I had footnotes. I had gone the distance. How dare he give me an F? Then he said, I noticed a handwritten note on the bottom of the paper below the big red F. Ever hear that expression, eating crow? Great scholarship. Great detail. And magnificent effort. But you answered the wrong question. You answered the wrong question. All that work mistakenly addressed the wrong thing. It wasn't that I was not sincere. It wasn't that I was not working hard. It was simply that I addressed the wrong thing. I had been so focused on myself and what I wanted to achieve that I missed the professor and what he wanted from me. In my desire to score high, I missed out on what could have been a wonderful assignment because I did not understand what the professor wanted from me. Folks, 
What does Jesus Christ want from us today? What is he wanting from you and me? As he is promising to come into our lives in such meaningful and purposeful ways. I believe he wants us to start focusing on what he wants and not our own desires. I believe he wants us to not hide from his refining fire and fuller's soap. He's given us a promise that as he comes more and more into our lives, he will make us what we can be. So on this Sunday Advent of Hope, let's hold on to that promise. Let's ask him, move in my life. Father, bring that refining fire. Change me from what I am into what I'm meant to be. Burn out the dross. Clean up the mess that I have made. But come and change me. So today, let's open ourselves up to a promise that offers us hope and becoming what we are meant to be today. Let's surrender ourselves to the Lord who comes. And look in anticipation about where he might take us and what he might do. We have hope because our God will not leave us in the muck and mire of this world to fail. He is with us every step of the way to refine us and make us into what he wants. And I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes before the Lord God Almighty today. I'm going to ask you to do the Lord a service by not wishing. I sure wish they were here to hear this today. Boy, they needed that. I'm asking you to look into your heart and ask God, what do you say to me today? What is the change you want in my life? What am I holding on to that I need to release into your hands? Father, let your fire come. Let your soap cleanse me. But make me into what I can be. Help me have the hope. You're just not going to leave me. But you will change me. You will move in my 